Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I talked with Dr. Andrew Ekblad about intense emotions. Listen to this episode if you want to learn about some of the positive consequences of experiencing intense emotions, some strategies on how to manage them, and when you should reach out to a professional for help. Enjoy. Welcome back. Today I am going to chat with Dr. Andrew Ekblad, who is a psychologist who specializes in DBT. Do you want to introduce yourself, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like you said, Andrew Ekblad, I'm a psychologist and um, um, the founder and director of Behavioral Health, which is um, a clinic with offices in Guelph and Waterloo here in Ontario. And I've been working in the area of uh, dialectical behavior therapy, borderline personality disorder for, um, for over 15 years now. Um, also work with people with trauma and mood disorders, anxiety, um, and at the same time, uh, dialectical behavior therapy has been a, a big emphasis of mine uh, really for my entire career. Awesome. So, so my first question to you is, is how do you define intense emotions? Sure. So intense emotions, I mean, I think it's important to note that everyone experiences intense emotions. Okay. I I don't think that there's anyone who doesn't experience intense emotions at all. I also think that there are some people who experience their sort of level of intensity maybe higher than others mm-hmm. and the the frequency with which they experience these intense emotions uh, may be higher or more frequent so uh, you know I certainly don't don't want to suggest that um, that there's some people who don't get upset everyone gets upset from time to time right um, and you know and I should I should say intense emotions can be either positive or negative everyone experiences, intense emotions from time to time and at the same time the level of intensity can really vary one person to another and the frequency uh, with which people experience intense emotions can vary quite a bit you know there are some people might say i get really excited or feel really distressed once once or twice a year once or twice a month and then there are other people who would say that they would experience intense emotions multiple times a day. Right. Um, so one way of thinking of intense emotions is people who experience emotions where they experience high sensitivity, mm-hmm. high reactivity, and slow return to baseline. So there are these these three components here that I want to highlight. So high sensitivity would basically mean that for some people it takes less to set them off. Right. You know, so a an example that is sometimes given is let's say you are at work or going to class or something like that, and you say hello to someone and the person doesn't look up at you or say anything. Right. So one person might interpret this as an insult, that the person was trying to be rude to them, that 
that they themselves are maybe not worth responding to. So someone might experience anger, someone might experience shame or sadness in response to this. So, so that would be a pretty sensitive reaction. It would be understandable and it would, it would require a somewhat high level of emotional and interpersonal sensitivity. Right. Another, another person might have more of a neutral interpretation of this. You know, a neutral interpretation would be the person didn't hear me or the person is preoccupied by something that happened yesterday or something they're worried about a test or something at work or whatever. Right. So the, we have two people here who have experienced the same ambiguous response, right? Mm-hmm. The person, the person doesn't respond to them. One person responds to it or, or has a, highly re- emotionally reactive response. So they're very sensitive in response to this ambiguous stimuli. Right. Another person has a neutral emotional reaction to the ambiguous stimuli. So one piece there is the high sensitivity. High reactivity would be when the person gets upset, they get very upset. So Again, if we go back to this person that the you know the person on the sidewalk hasn't responded to them, they they might get upset to the point where their level of distress, if you ask them to rate it, would be you know an eight, nine, ten out of ten. So right. it not only takes much to it doesn't take much to set them off. When they are set off, they get very upset. And then the last piece here would be the slow return to baseline. For some of us, when we're bothered by something, we might be bothered by it. And then hopefully before too long, we're able to shift our attention to something else. Mm-hmm. Whereas for others, longer to get back to the state they were in before they had this, uh, this emotional provocation, right. if that makes sense. So they might, they might stay upset for hours. That's, that would be the slow return to baseline. Whereas another person, they might be a bit bothered by the person not um, not saying hello to them also. But they may recover in a matter of minutes. Right. So that's the, the high sensitivity, high reactivity, and slow return to baseline that would be, I think, some common components of intense emotions. Well, yeah, and I think it's, it's good to think about it that way because as you said we all experience intense emotions. So what are some of the criteria that you can look out for that kind of suggests that you, there may be something else going on. So as you said, everyone experiences a wide range of emotions, but some people experience more intense emotions with higher highs and lower lows than the normal person. Can you talk a little bit about some of the positive consequences of experiencing more intense emotions? Sure. So I think that uh, some of the pros of experiencing intense emotions are what is sometimes called emotion dysregulation, which is common in borderline personality disorder, but maybe other difficulties as well, is I think that one, the world for some people who have a tendency to experience intense emotions maybe a bit more colorful. 
I think that there might be a, a, a stronger, more intense reaction or relationship with things like books, movies, and music. So I think the world might be a bit more vibrant. And another thing that I think is, is a key positive for people who experience intense emotions is for, for many, there's a wider range of ability in terms of how they communicate with other people. So mm. I do think for the, certainly not for everyone, but for many people who experience intense emotions, they may be uh, better at communicating either one-on-one or maybe through public speaking, maybe as a performer, musician or something like that, because they're able to tap into a more intense emotional experience I think that they are also able to tap into a wider range of expressive um, sort of skill as well. So I, I think that the, the vibrancy of their experience in life and the wider range of ways in which they can communicate are at least two positives that some people with intense emotions experience. So a tendency to experience intense emotions, I, I really want to emphasize this, is, is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Feeling controlled by intense emotions and feeling like your intense emotions are in control of your behavior, the way you move through life, that is a problem. Right. Experiencing them in and of themselves is not a problem. And may in all likelihood even have some upside. Well, I think it, I think that it's useful to think about some of the possible upsides. And one thing that, that I sometimes think about is, you know, as someone who's, who's dealt with depression and anxiety and has felt really the lows of life is, I, I, I'm not sure about the science behind this, but I see myself as someone who's experienced, who's able to experience deeper lows than other people. But for that reason, you're also able to experience greater highs in a way. And absolutely, there are some negative sides to it. But it's also, I don't know, I I think of it also as a gift sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you're speaking to is a, a wider range of internal emotional experience. Right. And so, so in terms of the signs, I'm some people just born with the capacity to experience greater emotions. Is, is that how we're, our brain works or do you know? Well, in dialectical behavior therapy, dialectical behavior therapy was developed by a psychologist, Marshall Linehan at the university of Washington, along with DBT. Mm-hmm. She developed what, what's called the biosocial theory of the development of borderline personality disorder, or you could also say of emotion dysregulation, so mm-hmm. the tendency to experience intense and quickly shifting emotions that are right. sometimes difficult to control. So the biosocial theory is basically DBT's answer to the nature-nurture question. And the bio part of the biosocial theory suggests that 
and, and there is some evidence for this from genetics research at this point, that some people come into the world just hardwired to experience their emotions with more intensity. Right. So there's, there's usually not a wide range of the kinds of emotions that people experience. So a kind of emotion would be sadness, happiness, anger, yeah. you know, anxiety. Everybody experience, has experienced these emotions. Right. But there, there does seem to be a wide range in terms of the experience with which people um, uh, have the intensity right. of their emotions. So the intensity with which people experience their emotions. Right. People who uh, are sometimes end up getting diagnosed with borderline personality disorder in all likelihood have this genetic predisposition toward intense and quickly shifting emotions. Right. And dialectical behavior therapy suggests that because this is hardwired, the therapy is not about how do we help people not experience intense emotions. You know, that's, that's not the goal. One, because it would be impossible. And two, because as we were just talking about, it would take away some strengths that the person might have right. around the world feeling more vibrant and maybe being more uh, expressive. The goal is not to take away these intense emotional experiences right. so much as teach the person skills for how to effectively manage these intense emotions that are in all likelihood genetically predisposed. Right. Well, that, that makes sense. So, you know, while there are some positive sides, it can also be exhausting to go through these intense emotions, ups and downs throughout the period of a day, as you said, or even an hour. So could you give a couple examples of strategies that would be helpful to manage those intense emotions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will I'll refer to an app that I like, and then maybe maybe we could also sort of do a, a brief exercise ourselves. So sure. one thing that I would say is the dialectical behavior therapy um, handouts and worksheets, which were... Um, published a few years ago, I think the most recent version is in maybe 2013 to 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, Marsha Linehan, who developed CBT, put those out, and so that's a that's a great resource. Certainly looking through it is not a substitute for seeing a uh, well-trained professional, and at the same time, maybe worth looking at. There's also an app that I find I recommend to just about every single person I meet personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't work for this app maker. So I feel like it's completely legit for me to, uh, you know, for me to speak positive, right. Positively of them. So there's an app called headspace that I'm a really big fan of. It's, it's somewhat popular. So sometimes I'll mention it to people and they've already heard of it, but headspace is an app that, has, I think at this point, probably hundreds of guided meditations on it, mm-hmm. hundreds of guided mindfulness exercises, and I think that as it as it stands right now, there's sort of a free trial period, and then you can pay a bit moving forward if you want to. There's mindfulness exercises for 
dealing with stress, anxiety, work, relationships, sleep, you know, really everything under the sun. So right. I certainly recommend that people check that out because it's, it's pretty rare that I talk to someone who has tried it and doesn't feel like they've benefited at least a little bit. And I want to highlight Headspace in particular. There's a few other good ones out there, but I find that with something with a, a skill like mindfulness that is very popular and cool these days, there's a lot of stuff out there that I feel like is sort of so-so in quality. Right. And I, I think that finding something done really well is, is worth highlighting and Headspace falls into that category for me. Uh, so I would recommend that people check out the DBT skills and maybe check out the Headspace app. Mm-hmm. But then another thing that we could do right now is maybe we could kind of work through an exercise, you and I right now, Jake, and then listeners could maybe do the same thing, just sort of as a emotional and behavioral skill experiment almost. Sure. So That'd be great. What we could do is we could start with... Why don't you close your eyes and, and think of something from the last week that uh, that brought up a little distress. So let's say in the 30, 30-ish range on a scale of 0 to 100. Okay. So close your eyes and just sort of put your hands facing down on the table or chair or your lap or something like that. So it might be something like getting stuck in traffic. You know you're going to be late to something. You're a bit disappointed about something. So something that brought up a little, a bit of distress, but but not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so kind of imagining that experience, noticing, as you think back over it, maybe noticing some of these feelings of, disappointment or or stress kind of coming back. And then I will just simply invite you to turn your hands up and have your palms facing upward. And after having your palms facing upward, take three deep breaths And with the deep breaths, I want to invite you to make a really long, slow exhalation. Exhalation is key here. So the palms facing up, do this right now. Wow. So did you, did, did that 30 come down a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it really did. And just, just the simple act of turning my hands, just, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's, it's interesting. It's, um, so this is a DBT school called Willing Hands, and it's sort of like a physical embodiment of being willing to be with whatever is going on right. in the present. Because that, that thing that, that sent up our disappointment or stress or whatever in the last week, it, it did that because we couldn't do anything about it, or at least it felt like we couldn't do anything about it. And 
we we sort of add emotional difficulty on top of a difficult situation when we're kind of fighting against it. So right. fighting against it would be, it shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have done that. And so practicing willing hands is a very different response where there's a willingness and an openness uh, to be with whatever is coming up in that moment, even if what is coming up is uncomfortable, you're not making it more uncomfortable by trying to push it away. Right. Oftentimes people find that when they're more willing to be with the present, even if the present is uncomfortable, that the, the, the distress associated with it goes down if they're willing to be a bit more open to it. Mm. That's interesting. It, it kind of goes back to the whole philosophy of, of mindfulness as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So mindfulness is certainly woven heavily into dialectical behavior therapy. And at mm-hmm. the same time, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be right to call it a DBT skill because it's, it's been around in texts and teachings in one way or another for thousands of years, and it's been borrowed and adapted by numerous evidence-based practices for emotional and physical difficulties, uh, dialectical behavior therapy being only one of them. Right. As I think I'm a, a common definition for mindfulness that is used in a number of these more recently developed evidence-based practices is uh, paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Right. So this definition of mindfulness, it's important that it's about attention. It's important that it's on purpose. So it's not something that we accidentally do the way you might accidentally be paying attention to checking Facebook and watching TV at the same time. Right. You know, so it's, it's about attention. It's something that you do on purpose. It's something that you're doing in the present. So it's a present moment focused attention as opposed to getting caught up in thoughts about the past or the future. And then the non-judgmental piece speaks to being with what is as opposed to what we want it to be. So avoiding slipping into categorizing things like good and bad, right and wrong, fair and unfair. Those would be common what you might think of as habits of thinking right? that can easily lead to judgment that we try to avoid when we're practicing mindfulness. Right. And so how can we implement these, these strategies and, and mindfulness into our daily lives? Right. Well, with practice, right. <laughs> uh, you know, building, building a new skill is, is always inconvenient. Right. And at the same time, it might really, really be worth it. So, again, one thing that I'll go back to is the Headspace app, which I, I really like because they're, they're straightforward, those guided exercises. Or there might be others. You know, Headspace is certainly not the only one. I would encourage people maybe to check out Headspace or maybe just to look around right. and experiment with other different uh, either apps or websites that do uh, guided meditations. You can find things up on YouTube. Uh, 
just a few common teachers that I really like would be Sharon Salzberg, Tara Brock, Jack Cornfield, Kristen Neff is a researcher and psychologist who has done a lot of work on the combination or on the intersection between mindfulness and self-compassion, which can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. So those would be common teachers that I might encourage people to check out. Okay. An app like Headspace or sometimes people will have a good experience with a couple of other ones would be there's one called Insight Timer and one called Calm. I encourage people just to sort of experiment with what resources can I find out there that feel like a really good fit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this day and age, people have just about everyone not everyone, but just about everyone has always got their phone with them. Yeah. And so that can obviously bring on a lot of problems, a lot of distraction, a lot of, you know, the other person feeling like they're not being listened to or whatever. And it can be a great resource. So if somebody's trying to build more mindfulness into their life, I would say that one thing might be find a, a website with some guided meditations that you find you have a you know positive response to, or maybe one of these apps that I've mentioned, and try to find five to 10 minutes a day when you would go through one of these guided exercises. You need to set aside the time. It's important with a, with a mindfulness exercise that you don't just listen to it. So people might be tempted, they'll say, oh, okay, I'll put, I'll put that on while I'm driving the car or something like that, and right. maybe it'll be a good idea. Right. I'm not much of a fan of good ideas. Or another <laughs> way of saying that would be, I'm only a fan of good ideas when they're going to be put into practice. Right. So I would say you really need to set aside the time, but it doesn't have to be a lot of time. So what I encourage people to do is to find five or ten minutes a day when they are most likely to be able to carve out a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Don't hope that you find the time during the day. Set it aside in advance. Right. And start trying to pepper into your day a bit of mindfulness through one of these guided exercises. And what most people will find is that there is an impact. It might be pretty subtle. Right. And at the same time that there is a bit of an impact even early on, mm-hmm. the, first, the first few times that they're doing it, people will notice a difference. And also that over time, the more they do it, the more they will notice the impact of that exercise really goes beyond that five or ten minutes. Right. That it can have an impact over the course of the day. Right. And right. I guess one more thing that I'd like to say there is it is not as simple as mindfulness always feels good, okay? So mindfulness is about paying attention in the present moment. That might or might not feel good. It might or might not feel relaxing. I would say it often does, and at the same time, if someone doesn't feel relaxed, that doesn't mean that they've done something wrong. Right. They will still experience the benefit of not pushing away whatever's going on with them in the moment. And that's a very powerful thing that can really build a lot of psychological strength over time. So even if mindfulness doesn't quote unquote feel good or relaxing in the moment, mm-hmm. it, it may still 
be having and continue to have over time a positive impact. Right. And uh, and again, with the other caveat that I gave earlier, it's very useful to to have an experienced and professional teacher as a as a guide while you're experiencing with mindfulness or any other new skills. Absolutely. Great. So I, I want to talk a little bit about BDP um, and kind of how to identify when we need help managing our intense emotions and what is normal versus bordering on borderline personality disorder. Okay, so a, a borderline personality disorder. Yes. Okay, gotcha. So borderline personality disorder is a psychiatric diagnosis that is applied to people who really do feel like their lives are controlled by these intense and quickly shifting emotions. So certainly not everybody who experiences intense and quickly shifting emotions suffers from borderline personality disorder. Right. At the same time, most people who suffer from borderline personality disorder do experience intense and quickly shifting emotions. Right. So in, in fact, when the most recent iteration of the diagnostic and statistical manual of, um, of mental disorders, the DSM-5 came out uh, in, I think, 2013. When it came out, some people suggested that borderline personality disorder, so BPD for short, should be renamed emotion dysregulation disorders. So for whatever reason, the people on that work group decided not to rename it. And so we're, we're stuck with this title, borderline personality disorder, at the same time it might be useful in some ways to think of it as a disorder of emotion dysregulation. So when people don't have healthier skills to manage these intense and quickly shifting emotions, what sometimes people will slip into is they will slip into impulsivity as a way of regulating their intense and quickly shifting emotions. Right. And there's a lot of research that says that this makes perfect sense because impulsivity can have a couple of positive short-term, I want to emphasize that, positive short-term results for people. So one would be that being impulsive in some way might distract people right. from emotions that feel overwhelming. Right. It can also, um, in addition to distraction, it can just sort of, different forms of impulsivity can just bring on feelings of relaxation. So, for instance, there has been research where you put people who have struggled with impulsivity into a functional MRI machine, you ask them to think about something upsetting, you can see that distress grow in their brain, and then you just ask them to think about doing something impulsively, and you can watch their brain settle down and you right. can watch this emotion dysregulation ease. So it makes perfect sense that people who experience emotion dysregulation would also suffer from impulsivity. The problem is that that impulsivity can cause some serious problems for people in the long run. Right. And so it's not so much the intense emotions that are the problem. 
as it is the combination of the intense emotions and the impulsivity. The impulsivity can create dangerousness. It can get in the way of relationships, and it can really wreak a lot of havoc in people's lives. Right. Okay. Well, that kind of clears things up. And then, you know, talking about impulsivity as well, as you said, often intense emotions can lead to these impulsive actions. Are impulsive actions always wrong? And should we learn not to trust our impulsive action or our kind of gut reaction? Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's a tricky one. I would say... I I don't think a lot about right and wrong or good and bad. I think a lot about effective and ineffective. Right. And so rather than is impulsivity bad, if I were talking to someone and they would say, well, I'm, I'm doing this thing and someone says it's, it's a problem, I would say, well, what, what happens for you when you do that? What happens one to five minutes after you do it, and what happens one to five weeks after you do it. Right. So tell me more about the short and long-term implications of that behavior you're engaging in. Right. Uh, maybe it's impulsive, maybe it's not. And then I would just say, do you want more of what happens after it? Right. And when it's someone who may be struggling with borderline personality disorder and we're talking about impulsivity, it's, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, I want what happens right afterward. And at the same time, I don't want what happens in the long run. Right. And so that's a, that's a really important and, and interesting conversation around how do we start to make choices that might force us to tolerate discomfort in the short term but bring us closer to the life that we want in the long run. Right. So when it, when it comes around to something like going with your gut, there is, there's another DBT skill called wise mind and wise mind is really about balancing how we feel about a situation with the facts of what is going on in the situation. And I think it's important to acknowledge our feelings, even if they're very intense. And it's also important to acknowledge our facts. So you can't, uh, you, you can't rule out emotion in your decision-making because then you'd be ruling out a lot of your, your experience of life. Right. And at the same time, I think that what intense emotions can sometimes do is they can sometimes distract us from the truth. They can sometimes, sometimes distract us from the truth of, did that person really say that thing? Right. Or am I misinterpreting it? Is it actually true that my life is going to fall apart because of this grade that I got? Right. Or is my emotion, emotion leading me to misinterpret it? Right. I think it's important that we honor and are aware of how we're feeling. And it's also important that we balance those feelings or, you know, that perspective with the facts of, uh, of, of what's actually going on in that moment. So, Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's, it's really important when someone's thinking about, is this a good or bad action to think about when I have done this thing in the past, have I liked what's happened in the short and long run? Right. 
do I want more of that outcome in the short or long run? And that, that can be a better guide. That can be a good guide for whether or not you want to keep doing that thing. Right. And it, that, yeah, that seems a better question to ask yourself for sure. Yeah. Great. Well, those are all the, the questions I have. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I don't think so. I appreciate the time to chat about this stuff. It's stuff that I think about all the time. Yeah. And, and, and as, as we were saying before, um, and to the listeners, we were thinking of doing three episodes, um, together. This one was on managing emotions and then we touched on it a little bit today, but hopefully if Andrew still wants to talk to me again, we'll, uh, talk about mindfulness, um, in one episode and then do one on DBT and, and more on, on borderline personality disorder. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. I'll look forward to doing that and uh, really appreciate you including me on the podcast, Jake. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.